I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, October 2nd, 2021, and this is episode 140 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is... Yesterday, I finished reading a book that is due back to the library, I think, today. So it was kind of a rush against time. But it is Slightly Dangerous by Mary Belloc. It is the sixth book in the Bedouin series, which is historical romance. And this book kind of gutted me. It was one of those ones, it's the last book in the series, and so I've been waiting for it. And I actually read the series to get to this book. So this is the Duke of Bucastle's book. And I had read another one of her series that actually takes place after this one. But they reference Duke of Newcastle a lot. And he's like this almost mythic figure. And so I was like, I really want to get to his book. And of course, his book is the last in the series of his siblings. I did not read the entire series. I read one, two, and three. I skipped four and five for library reasons. But that was enough because you you know, I knew him from a little bit, a few mentions here and there, just this character that you're like intrigued by. And then he is the oldest brother, because he's the Duke, of course, um, of his six siblings, I guess. Book six, right? I'm trying to remember who the siblings actually are. I actually enjoyed the first the first book a lot. Um, I'm having trouble remembering the second and the third one. The third one was interesting, but kind of weird. Then, because I got them off from the library and the ebooks at the library, I, I didn't read books four and five. I might go back and read at least five. Anyway, so he's this character that you've met, and he's this very cold, very icy, very aristocratic, um, but you can tell there's a heart in there, and you really just wanted to read his story and find out who can melt the ice, right? Which brings me to the Tide Place winner for this week's best thing, which is another book, nonfiction, called Seven Figure Fiction by T. Taylor, Theodora Taylor writing about universal fantasies. And so she has this concept. I don't know if she originated it, but she's a proponent of it. And I've seen her speak uh, on it about universal fantasies, which are kind of like tropes, but the thing that makes you want to read a book, the thing that makes books that maybe aren't well-written, um, craft is not the best, makes them shoot to the top of the charts, makes everyone read them and keep reading them. Even if they don't love them, they might read all the way to the end and then one star review it and say, I hated this book, but I'm reading the sequel. You know, like universal fantasies are why that happens. So I had heard about the book, Universal Fantasies, or it's called Seven Figure Fiction, but I'm going to call it Universal Fantasies because that's what it is about. <laughs> and, um, I hadn't realized that Theodora Taylor had written a nonfiction book, and then my friend told me, and I was I'm working on the revision for Savage City and just kind of struggling with some things. And so she was like, read that book. Um, it's not super long, and I read it in a couple of hours, and it gave me lots of interesting ideas. I've been a little reticent because I don't know that I can really write like that, but I think there is a way to work in some of these concepts into what I do well. Some people do universal fantasies very well. They really understand why people love a thing. And so an example is, you know, the heroine who can melt an icy hero. Um, other, there's, there's lots of examples in the book. If you are a writer, I, I really recommend taking a look at it and reading it because uh, it's it really opens up your mind to why are some things popular? Like, why do I love Beauty and the Beast stories? You know, which I do. I will read just about any Beauty and the Beast story. Beauty and the Beast is a trope. and um, But 
the universal fantasies of that, if you take the original, or the Disney version at least, it's being taken away from your drudgery of a life to um, like a fantastic kind of world is a universal fantasy. Having happy servants tend to your every need, um, you know, being able to change the heart of a grumpy, of a, of a grumpy um, choleric man, which is similar to melting the ice, but slightly different. Having someone powerful choose you. Um, like there's, there's all kinds of universal fantasies that are the things. And, and I think calling them universal is also kind of difficult because not, nothing is really universal. Um, some of the ones that she lists are definitely not universal for me, but that's the name of it. So that's the name I'm going with because it's universal for a number of people. You're going to get a big swath of people who are going to respond to that thing. And they don't know why they're responding to it, but they love it. So in this book, it is like opposites attract, which is a trope, but um, something deeper in that is would be like a universal fantasy. But like I said, being the one who can get the one, you know, if in this example of slightly dangerous, being the only woman who can get this unattainable man who who is very cold to everyone and doesn't really care and has hidden all of his emotions away, that is a universal fantasy for many women. And, um, and the book is also very well written because obviously I read a lot of Mary Bellog. <laughs> I'm going through several of her series. And um, so her craft is on point, but she's also intrinsically, and maybe not, it feels like, you know, this is a person who was writing before there were a lot of craft books out. So she is doing automatically the things that you learn in craft books. And she's doing them very naturally in terms of like internal character arcs, which is a thing that I'm struggling with right now. And it is really interesting to read a book that I'm actually enjoying on a reader level. And I'm not reading it, because I don't generally read from an analytical perspective, because I like to enjoy my reading. My reading is my time to relax. But I could see, and I would have to go back and read it again analytically to really pinpoint it. But even not doing that, I could tell that, yeah, these character arcs are perfectly drawn. They're perfectly drawn from beginning to end to mesh together and with the external conflicts that were happening and the internal conflicts to work really well together. And that is something that I'm working on for my revision of Savage City uh, that I've spent the past days like fighting with. And, and it feels like when I read her book, it's done so naturally. I don't know how long it takes her to get that done or if it's natural the way it feels or if she actually worked really hard at it. But um, however she came about it, it works for me. So I would not recommend reading Slightly Dangerous on its own. Read at least the first two Bedouin books. I feel like I was fine skipping four and five. Um, but, you know, you have to build him up a little bit to get to the point where it means a lot to see him in the position that he's in falling in love and not wanting to fall in love. Neither of them wants. And Mary Bell does this a lot. Nobody wants to fall in love with the person that they fall in love with. They don't like them really. They don't really match up. Um, it's inconvenient in so many ways, which is great romantic conflict. And then romantic conflict is also something that I don't think I do that well. I'm trying to do it better. And it can be a little harder in with speculative, like if you're not writing um, like a contemporary or historical where there's not a lot of external conflict, um, 
you're focused more on the romantic conflict, then you have to do it better. With fantasy and paranormal, there's all kinds of other stuff happening. So the love story should have some obstacles, but the obstacles are often external. At least that's how I do it. But I would love to make it more internal and have it be more balanced. So this all brings me to my writing update, which is the revision of Savage City, my futuristic paranormal romance portal fantasy story. So I wanted to walk through what I've been doing in my revision. And I'm actually thinking of doing like a separate series of videos on craft and just the process of revising and maybe plotting and, and drafting later on. But right now I'm revising and that is top of mind. And so I've been really breaking down my process so that I can know for myself in the future, like in more detail, and also maybe help someone else. So if any of you are interested in that, let me know, comment, email. Um, you can comment on YouTube or on lpnlp.com slash podcast, or send me an email through my website. But yes, my revision process. So I had gotten editorial feedback. I had a manuscript review, so not a full developmental edit, but essentially it serves that purpose for me at this stage in my writing career. I also had several beta readers check it out. And um, the first step of the revision process is to read the feedback. So I've taken time away from the manuscript while I was getting the feedback. It's been about two months since I've actively been in it. And uh, as much time as I can, you know, it's nice to get that space away from it. A lot of times I don't have that time, but I did here. So I took time away. So at the beginning of the revision process, I, my method would be don't look at the book yet, look at the feedback first. So I read through the feedback and I made notes about what resonated with me. So I highlighted certain things. I printed everything out and highlighted it. And then I also made notes in my notebook, basically things that more than one person were saying, top of the list. Those are things I really want to focus on. And then if someone said something that I really felt, oh yeah, that, mm, they're right. I wrote that down on the list and, or highlighted it. Um, same with my editor's feedback, because I really want to know if, if more than one person is hitting a stopping point, then that is absolutely something I need to address. And then sometimes if you, when you have multiple people giving feedback, they're going to conflict. There wasn't much uh, conflict. It was a little bit this time, but I remember when I first did Song of Blood and Stone, I had you know a couple people just giving me opposite information and I didn't know what to do. Uh, so at that point, it's like, does one of these two things resonate with you and what you were trying to do with the story? So assess the feedback first. Then the second step is to actually read through the book and not just read through, read through and make a spreadsheet and break it down because you want to break down what you have. And then with the feedback fresh in mind, I make notes to on every scene about ways to change, like ideas brainstorming. We're still in the early days, so it, nothing is committed yet, but I do like to create a spreadsheet. So a lot of times I will use the story grid method. And uh, recently I've been just creating my own spreadsheet for each book with different things I want to track because based on the feedback I've received, I might need to track, you know, some things this time that I didn't track in my last book that I was revising because each book is its own different thing. So for this book, I made a spreadsheet that has the goal, the conflict of each scene, the character change or emotional change, which I'm not doing a great job of tracking, the polarity change of the scene, the date, 
the setting and then a column for notes, which is sort of where I'm putting ideas for how to improve the scene, how to fix it based on the feedback and then based on reading it through and seeing additional problems that I want to address. So I made a spreadsheet. I, I transferred the book onto an e-reader. I didn't use my Kindle. I like using one of the other e-readers. I used my Remarkable, which you can you can read EPUBs on. So I took the same version of the manuscript that I had sent to the beta readers and to the editor, ran it through Vellum, made a quick EPUB. Vellum is the software that makes uh, e-books. It's Mac only. However, but you can... I could have sent my Word document directly to my Kindle. I like reading it on the other e-readers because they're larger. Um, a remarkable is the tablet that you write on, but it can also has just a larger screen area. And yeah, I read it through. I stopped after every scene to record the notes in the spreadsheet and went through. So that took about two days. The third step in the revision process is brainstorming what I want the story to be. So after I've made my spreadsheet, I've broken down what I have with some notes about potential changes. I really need to break everything apart, break it down to the studs. And this is something that is painful that I'm still working through. I think I'm on the tail end of it now, though. But it's something I found that I really need to do. I need to be willing to throw everything away, to completely rewrite the entire book, even though I know I won't. But I have to come at this process as if everything is on the table. And that is what I found is helpful. So I have I, I break out all of my spreadsheets that I used in the early draft, and I really revisit everything. So for this book, I was revisiting the character wounds and motivations and the character arcs for, for basically the main, for basically Talia, my main heroine. I think Ryan, the hero, is pretty solid. He was always pretty solid. Um, and there's things that I, I had done that I, that are kind of living in my subconscious. And this is the stage where I try to make it conscious. I bring it forward because I already put most of what I need in there. Either it's not like in the manuscript, you know, and so either it's not, if it's not working, that means it's not prominent enough, or I had the idea, the thought is underlying something. I just need to bring it out more. 80% of what I have to do is already there. It just, it's just not quite right yet. So I went back to the Enneagrams for the main two characters. I went back to the character internal arc, which is the wound, her lies, her flaws, and just reminded myself of them, tweaked them. I changed them several times and changed them back. I just, it, this is really the, the break everything apart. It's like gutting the kitchen, taking everything out and then putting it back in. Um, I went through the Creating Character Arcs book by K.M. Wyland. I also went through Libby Hawker's Take Off Your Pants book because she recently spoke to uh, Maryland Romance Writers, my chapter, and I watched that video. I wasn't able to make the live meeting, but you know, I remember reading that book when it came out years ago and it having some really good things, but I haven't revisited it, probably because I bought it on ebook and I don't have it on my shelf. Because what I do is I, I turn to my shelf and I, I pick out a book that I think is going to help. So maybe the answer is to just buy that paperback. But I revisited the ebook and she has some great, great ideas. And sometimes you just need to look at it from a different perspective. Like I'm always going back to the same sources, but you know, each book, some books require the K and Wyland method and some books are the save the cat and some books are this and that. And I can't even tell you how I decide something. Sometimes it's just, I just need a new perspective. Like I, I think I've looked at it from the old way. So what is this new thing? Which is saying the same thing in a different way, which is often a good way to 
open your mind. So um, I was on One Stop for Writers looking at their tutorials. They have a great one on character motivations. They have a character motivation thesaurus, which is excellent. And I used and I went back to and looked at all of the list, like the entire list of possible character motivations to make sure the one I had was right or felt right to me. I, the feedback I had, the biggest piece of feedback that was from multiple people was that my heroine Talia did not have strong enough goals in the first half of the book. You know, she's taken from our world through a portal to this other world. And what is, there's a point where she has a very concrete goal, but it's like halfway through. So that first half, when she's getting to know this world, she has to impersonate this princess that she looks exactly like. And, but other than that, you know, like what each scene and her overall goals were not strong enough. And she felt more passive than she needed to be. So I had to find a way to give her more agency, more actions, more concrete goals, then obstacles to those goals until we get to the midpoint when everything kind of crystallizes for her and she's her goals shift and change a bit. So yeah, I actually was struggling with that because I had an idea of her goals. Like her goal is she has to impersonate this princess, right? Why does she have to do that? Why does she feel she have to do that? What I did not want to do in this book is make her goal to want to go back home. That is generally the goal of a portal fantasy. They're taken someplace and they want to go back. I really did not want to do that. And I, I put it on the table. Everything's on the table. But my heart is like, that's not why I'm telling the story. I want to tell a slightly different kind of story about a girl who gets taken to this crazy world and actually wants to stay. And what does that look like? You know, but that made it a little bit harder because the natural thing is, oh, I want to get back home. So I brainstormed a lot of different goals. And for each goal, I did a new thing this time is I brainstormed potential obstacles just because I was, I really needed to figure out on a scene by scene level, what is she trying to do? What does she want in each scene? I thought I knew, but it was weak. So thinking about, okay, all of these scene goals have to contribute to this larger goal that actually is the same goal overall. Even though it shifts in the midpoint, it ends up, they all have to feed into this overarching thing. And that's the external goal and the internal goal. I had to, to really go back to the studs and back to basics on both of those things. I was also talking it through with Inez every morning as we write together because she's actually read this draft and she had really good feedback too. And it is super helpful to be able to talk through the story with someone who has read it, who has heard me talking about it for years. And, you know, you can just give me suggestions that I might not take, but it will spark something inevitably. And as always, it did spark something. So I brainstormed all these goals and all these obstacles. And then I, I came across something that started to feel right and, you know, felt like a thing that was there that was hiding inside the text but needed to be pushed forward, like I was saying earlier. Like my subconscious knew the entire time, and I have I have threads of it in there, but I need to, you know, pull them out and shine a light on them and then make them stronger and you know weave them into the structure better. So I analyzed every aspect of the story and um, came up with the, you know, made a new spreadsheet with all my character goals and all all of these questions that I have. It's a, a long list now of the external and the internal, and then the story question and all of these things. Then I started to go back scene by scene to make a new outline. And I'm outlining in a slightly new way. So it's yet another spreadsheet. I love my spreadsheets and they're so helpful. 
So in this new spreadsheet, this is how the book will be. This, is, this will be my new map for my revision. And so I'm tracking the scene number, the POV character, the level of effort of the scene, and that will help me with scheduling. So is this high, medium, or low? Like if it's a brand new scene, high level of effort. If I'm changing a lot of stuff in that scene, high. If I'm just changing one or two things, like us tweaking a motivation maybe, or changing a setting, medium. And then if it's basically going to be the same, low. Then I write the description of the scene, the goal, the method for achieving the goal, the conflict, the scene disaster or death. And the fact that every scene has to have a death is another way of saying the disaster. Some people call it disaster. When I took this class with C.S. Lakin, she called it a death. It could also be a turning point. I think they're all kind of the same thing. So the turn of the scene, the surprise of the scene. So I just wrote disaster slash death because sometimes thinking thinking of it as a disaster helps and sometimes thinking of it as a death helps. The next column is the contribution. So there was a list that I got from, I think it was from One Stop for Writers. And I actually made an index card and I'm keeping it with my reference index cards. And it's about how every scene contributes to the main character goal. So this revision is all about strengthening those goals. So there's five things that every scene or five ways that every scene can contribute to the goal. It can give the character an opportunity to learn important information. It can help them acquire skills or assistance. It can move them closer to their main objective or their main goal. It can clarify the stakes of the story, or it can facilitate inner growth. So I'm making sure that every scene does one or more of those things, and I'm tracking that. The next the next column I'm tracking is for universal fantasies. So from that Theodora Taylor book, it um, recommended that you have some kind of universal fantasy in every scene, not just in your book, but in the scenes. So examples of some in the beginning of Savage City, taken away from a sad life to an opposite world or a nightmare world, um, an underdog hero, a powerful hero, secrets, being royalty. So those are kind of the the core of the beginning, the first the first like four or five chapters. And the final column is for pacing. And this is a concept that I've taken from Libby Hawker's book, Take Off Your Pants. And in her section on pacing, she talks about how pacing is like inverted triangles or funnels. You know, the character starts at the beginning of the story or the beginning of the chapter or the beginning of the scene with lots of options. And slowly over the course of that element of story, they're funneled down to this one action that pushes them to the next thing. So if we're taking scene by scene, at the beginning of the scene, lots of options. Conflict, obstacles happen until at the end of the scene, they're forced basically to the next thing. That is another way of saying they set a new goal, which is their goal for the next scene. Lots of options. Then they're funneled down to one that pushes them to the next scene. So I'm trying to keep track of that to make sure that the pacing is good because I liked that idea. And it was like, hmm, if I track that, I can make sure I'm trying to make it, you know, page turning. Um, so, you know, in chapter two of this book, Ryan is the main character. He starts out with lots of options. By the end, he's forced to do something he doesn't want to do and go on this trip. And then by the next chapter, Tali is a POV character. She starts going somewhere. But at that point, there's lots of options. And then over the course of the chapter, things happen and she's pushed. And so what I track in that is she must do this, this, and this. Her only option is to do this, this, and this. And that's how I'm phrasing it when I track it. So that is 
like 10 columns or so of information. And I'm going through, I'm looking at the scene I have in my manuscript, um, doing the basic description, the new things that I'm, if I'm adding something to a scene, I'm putting in red text. And so if I'm adding, you know, changing the goal or the conflicts, sometimes I'm changing the setting, although I'm not tracking the setting specifically in a column here. But, um, so most of it is in black. The new stuff is in red. And yeah, columns for everything. So, so far, so far I have planned the first 10 scenes. There were about 32 scenes before. I know I have to add one or two more. Mm, under five. I'm adding under five scenes. I don't know if I'm cutting any. The plan is to do the entire outline and then dive into the revision. So that is how I'm handling that. It's it's the hardest process. This is harder than plotting for me. I think it's similar to plotting because it's like replotting, you know? I don't know. Is it harder than plotting? Plotting everything is new, you know? And it's like a, its own funnel. You've got every idea as a possibility and you could do anything and you have to narrow it down. Another thing on my reference index card is this quote from Lisa Crone from Story Genius. It's the constant laser beam focus on your protagonist's story-specific inner struggle that will keep you from allowing surface storylines to hijack the story you're telling. And I keep these reference index cards really close, and sometimes I spread them out on my desk. Um, Another one says, plot action is externalized metaphor for inner conflict. And I I didn't write down where that quote came from. I think it's StoryGrid or Robert McKee's story, one of those two things. And yeah, I just have to remind myself of these things over and over again, because if I tend to go off into the weeds or I get overwhelmed by the possibilities or I really need to narrow things down, okay, does this thing contribute to the inner growth of the character? And yeah, that's how I'm trying to wrangle this. I know what I want to have happen. I mean, part of this is because I am a, I'm plot first. I, I know the actions of the stories and then I find characters who fit into those actions and I'm, and make it work. I think if you're a character first writer, then your natural inclination is the inner inner arc, the inner struggle. And both both work fine. It's just trying to get them can, that braid, that weave of story character and um theme to go together. I have another card for the story that has the theme of it. So the theme of Savage City is transformation and liberation happen through sacrifice. And like, that's there, like in the draft I have, that was there, but like I said, something was off. Everything needs revision. Everything needs to be fixed at least once. So I do have some Q&A, but this episode is pretty long now, so I will do that next week. If you have a question for me, um, please write me at podcast at lpenelope.com and let me know your question. So my goals for in this coming week are to get this outline wrangled and create a synopsis. I want to create a synopsis to send to my agent because she's going to try to sell audio rights for this. So this may, it's going to be a different synopsis than the one I would usually write to write or actually do the revision off of. That is a long synopsis where I turn every scene in my outline into like a paragraph that goes into detail about the what happened in that paragraph. So I can just use that to write from. The synopsis for my agent is probably two or three pages long. And she's going to want the first couple of chapters, which 
once I start in the revision, you know, the first three chapters should be cleaned up within about a week. So I'm really trying to get that to her as soon as possible. So we can get that out there and I can know what I'm doing audiobook wise by the end of the year, hopefully by the beginning of next year. So if I, if I have to do it myself, I'll give myself enough time. Or if we sell the audiobook rights, I give myself enough time to do all that. Ideally have all the, all the versions of the book come out on the same day. I can set that day. Yeah, that's my plan. So I will go over other parts of the revision process as I go through them. I'm trying to, yeah, really record them and hopefully do, I don't know when I'm going to do this other video, but it's in my mind to do and I really would like to. So hopefully that will be sometime soon. I think this is a holiday coming up or is that next week? I don't, you know, I work from home. I'm self-employed. I don't know anything about holidays, but I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.